Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. Now, the question posed is, who's protecting the family? Now, of course, as Christians, the overall answer is the triune God is he who watches over us and protects us and blesses us in response to our faithfulness. But he does use his people in various ways and forms and professions to help us in this pursuit. And today I have the privilege of speaking with Nathan Pierce of Family Protection Ministries of California. And so obviously my question, who's protecting the family? Well, I would say that Nathan Pierce and Family Protection Ministries are doing the Lord's work in what they're doing. And he's going to talk to us about the organization, what it has done in the past, what it's doing now. So thank you, Nathan, for joining me. Thank you for having me. So on your website, fpmca.org, you state the purpose of Family Protection Ministries to defend the freedom of parents to train educate and care for their children privately without governmental interference. Chalcedon, founded by R.J. Rushduni, was a huge proponent of Christian education for Christian families, whether it was homeschools or day schools. And he had a huge part in defending churches and schools and homeschoolers who were under attack because they dared to obey God in the fashion of educating children the way they saw fit. And in a lot of ways, I've always looked at Family Protection Ministries as the next step or a offshoot of that philosophy. So tell my listeners a little bit about the organization, how it got started, and then how you got to be part of it. Certainly. Well, it is a privilege to be able to share that with your listeners. I'm privileged to be a part of Family Protection Ministries, and Family Protection Ministries was started by Roy Hansen back in the 80s. In 1986, he was approached by uh, the leadership of uh, the uh, Christian Home Educators Association of California, which is a a homeschool support organization statewide in California, um, and in fact is, is the oldest statewide homeschool support organization in the country. Um, which and they are still around. Um, but the leadership of, of Chia and the leadership of Homeschool Legal Defense Association, Michael Smith, one of the attorneys there, um, approached Roy and said uh, that California looked like it was going to be significant trouble for private homeschooling in California uh, and would probably cause trouble for the rest of the nation as well due to the left, the liberal leaning um, bent of the legislature at the time, which was actually not near what it is today. And uh, so it actually took a bit of arm twisting, but Roy started the organization in the fall of that year, 1986. And within weeks, there was a bill in the legislature in Sacramento that would have put homeschool parents in jail. And so right away, it was... um, 
it was evident that God was in this and that uh, God brought this organization into being for just the right time. And we haven't seen a bill exactly like that one uh, since then, but we have seen a number of other pieces of legislation throughout the years that have sought to uh, put the government in between parents and their children, even in the home and in the area that we work, which is specifically private homeschooling, as, as well as some other parental rights. But throughout the years, we've dealt with things like making parents have to be fingerprinted before they're allowed to homeschool or have home inspections a number of times has been proposed for homeschoolers. So these things are, are regular uh, regular friends to us here at Family Protection Ministries because there are things that keep coming back. And the okay. legislature has, has continued to, to uh, keep, us, keep us busy. So a lot of people will say, well, yeah, wow, California is always the weird state. But am I right in saying what happens in California is a good picture of what's coming down the pike for other states in the nation? Yes, I, I would definitely say that. I've seen a number of things happen in other states that happened here first, and I know that's easy to look at, when, especially with some of the eastern states. Um, but uh, we have actually been contacted by uh, state organizations trying to protect the family and to protect homeschooling uh, specifically. Uh, because they know we've dealt with certain issues before they have, um, like broadening the, the uh, required school age. In California, our school age requirements are 6 to 18, and that's, that's the more mandatory age requirement. In other states, they have, they have different requirements, different ages, some, some a broader range than that, some a smaller range than that. But we have fought in California many times legislation to broaden that that range to lower the education required age down lower to to five or three and so that's something that that has definitely been an idea that's proposed here and even if things don't get passed in california things that get proposed and debated in california even if it doesn't pass it gets brought up in the same wording. They'll they'll use the same draft that they used in California to propose it in other states. The Bible talks about the importance of the watchman on the wall. And I had always looked at you and Roy as watchmen on the wall mm-hmm. because you're not there um, slaying the dragons. You're just letting everybody know that the dragons are approaching. So let's just talk about you personally. I know you're a husband and a father. How did you get equipped for this kind of work? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, and it's continually amazing me how God prepared me in different ways that I never expected. But that's the way of the Lord, isn't it? Yes. So I was raised in a Christian home. I was homeschooled from uh, my earliest education from birth, I was homeschooled. And then um, after I graduated high school, um, which was definitely a, a Christian-based uh, education, a, a biblical worldview throughout all subject areas, which I'm very grateful for, I went to the master's college and graduated from there. And uh, while 
doing all of those things, I was involved in the homeschool community, helping volunteer in, in various ways, helped put on homeschool conferences and listening to a lot of speakers at homeschool conferences with, from whom I learned a lot of, of things about the biblical worldview and education and, and what God's intention is for the family. And so I would say there's a, there's a, a lot of different things that God's used to, to prepare me for this, but I, I definitely have a passion for it. So I have sought to learn things along the way as well, specifically with regard to government and how God intended for government to work and how government actually does or, or doesn't work in, in today's world. But I have a, a, a lot that I owe to uh, folks that have, have gone before me that have, have been leading the way in, in Christian thinking in terms of education. So there's something that you said that I hope encourages parents. You know, as, as homeschoolers, which I was for almost 30 years, when we want to go to a conference, we also we often drag our children. And you're mm-hmm. a, like a living witness to the fact that you were listening. You were listening when your parents went to these various conventions. Mm-hmm. And uh, by hearing a multitude of people share the same perspective, but from different different manifestations, no doubt you began to feel or sense things that you would be particularly good at or you had an interest in pursuing. Yes, yes. Things I still remember hearing, hearing talks from, from many years ago at, uh, at conferences all over the state. Uh, my parents were involved with the state organization, CHIA, uh, as I was growing up. So we went to local events, but we also went to, to the state events, uh, larger events. And, and I w- am very grateful for being exposed to some some really good presentations and 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 even get to know some of the some of the people, some of the uh, people that God had used back then to help my parents learn about teaching from a Christian worldview. Now we're going to get into the specifics of the work you do and how you do it, but I just want to say, the thing that most encourages me in dealing with men like you, Nathan, is that you are invested and you demonstrate a hope for the future. And people might ask, what are you talking about? Well, Nathan is the father of eight and the eighth is due to arrive later this year. And he and his wife homeschool their children. And I always am grateful for the warriors who are in the fight but more than just being in the fight, but have a vested interest. In other words, every new child that comes into his family, he knows that you add 10, 20 years to that child's life. And as a parent, he wants to leave um, a good legacy for his children. Not that it will be easy, but they're prepared to fight the battle. And they even know that there is a battle. Too many Christians today, if you ask them, so what side are you on in the war? Or how is the war going? They might ask you, what war? Hmm. And Nathan, you are very familiar with this war and you fight this war. Would you call yourself a lobbyist? How would you describe what you do in California? 
probably a, a, a the best word would be a, a homeschool advocate. There are technical uh, meanings to to lobbyist here in California. I'm not a lobbyist, but I when you when you go back to what term you used earlier, watchman on the wall, that's a really good way to look at it because I I spend a lot of my time going through uh, finding legislation and analyzing it and then raising the alarm about it. I spend less of my time one-on-one with legislators themselves, but I do spend time with uh, legislative staff on a pretty regular basis working on on language and things like that, trying to trying to make things less of a threat to families or taking the threats out of out of legislation. It's it can be a challenge to to work with with some people, but it's got to be done. So I would say I do uh, spend a lot of time reading legislation. We have more bills introduced here in California than they do in Washington D.C. It's about three thousand bills per year, and so there's a lot to go through. and And you've probably heard this before, but legislation can have a lot of stuff buried in it, and so you have to be careful when you go through reading it and they tend to tend change some of the the wording that they use so that uh, you may not know right up front what they're talking about in the legislation but when you get deeper into it uh, you find out that this really would impact the family whereas uh, up front it, it may not have appeared that way so so there's a lot of time spent just on analyzing things before we can even take action but then we get uh, other folks involved in taking action um, if we need to. One of the things that I like to do is to try to resolve issues on legislation behind the scenes as much as possible. Uh, because uh, if it doesn't become a big political issue, it's easier for somebody to, to change wording in their bill without making it a big deal and having it uh, blow up into a big political issue. And so if I can resolve those things behind the scenes, working with a staff member and just finding a solution to their problem that doesn't impact the family, then, then that's great. But sometimes it just doesn't work. And we have to, we have to call out the troops. We have to, to raise the alarm. We have to call everybody to, to reach out to their legislators. And everybody can have an impact on that. Um, but it's something that we all have to, to partner together to do. So I'll let you describe some of your bigger calling in the troop events, but I want to go back to the idea of you dealing with legislative staff. You know, it's very easy for us to caricature people and say, you know, it's it's black and white. They're the good guys here and they're the bad guys here and the bad guys want to destroy the family. Do most legislative staff have this uh, venomous nature to them? Or are they unaware that some of what they propose and solutions to problems that they may or may not have assessed correctly will impact people? And do you find that the lines are very clearly drawn or in a lot of cases, they're clueless as to the implications of their ideas? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Most staff members in the legislature are decent people. They are they're people you can carry on a, a reasonable, rational conversation with. They they will generally listen to reason, and they're not just out to get everybody. Now there are some that are that are have a more controlling mindset, but 
in general, they're trying to to solve problems and they're and they're in the building or they're they're working in the capital in the legislature because they're passionate about something. So they can be they can be pretty vigorous in their support of whatever it is that they are personally passionate about. But at the same time, if they can if they can slow down enough sometimes to listen to what there might be some side effects to their legislation, then they're generally going to be pretty reasonable about that and have a conversation and be open to some suggestions. And honestly, if you can provide a solution to their problem where they are happy with the solution and it does fix their problem and it takes away some of the opposition, that makes their life easier. It makes their phone a little quieter and <laughs> they're able to get more done. So they do like that. So, so I try to be friends to, to people and, and be that person that can provide the solutions to the problems that they're trying to solve. And that's a biblical perspective. In other words, settle your differences with your enemy before you get to court. That's so right. having, having these things worked out, and that's why I asked the question, do some of them even understand the implications of what they're saying? And if when you point out how this would impact the family, do you find that they say, oh, no, no, that was never our intent? Yeah, I, I, I do find that. And so in those situations, in those situations, I can offer what they would term a, a clarifying amendment or something where I can help them see the way they're going about solving whatever problem they're, they're addressing is going to have this side effect, this other impact on a bunch of people. And if they don't want to do that, and hopefully I, they don't, uh, then, then there's another solution and they're generally glad to find another solution that, that doesn't have this other side effect that they had no idea would ever happen. A lot of legislative staff, they're going to be experts in certain areas. But in other areas, you know, they have to they have to be dealing with legislation on a broad range of issues and they can't be an expert on everything. And so there's going to be legislation that has stuff in it that they don't understand. And they know that. So this goes back to an obvious question because we've heard you'll have you, you'll know what's in the bill once you pass it. How much did the actual elected officials even know or understand what they're voting on, on the average bill? I would say on the average bill, it's probably safe to say that on average, a bill that goes through a committee or through a floor vote has not had any legislator read it in, in its entirety. So that uh, should be an eye-opening thing for people who think, well, all we have to do is get the right people into office because a lot of times they're depending on their staff or influenced by lobbyists or whatever it is. So um, it should give people reason to pause and say, how are we being governed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is amazing how, how much uh, the people working for legislators, uh, how much they are doing the job that a lot of us think that the legislators are doing. Uh, these staff members are taking the meetings with folks like me and other people that have have an expertise in a particular area. They're they're working on writing legislation. They're working on 
reviewing legislation that the member is going to be voting on in a committee or on a on a floor vote and and writing up a a recommendation an explanation of why the their boss their legislator should be uh, voting in favor or in opposition to that to that bill they really have a lot uh, that they have control over and so even even people that are maybe even interns in a legislator's office are going to have a significant amount of of power and so we have to remember that so let me ask you this um biblically it says in a multitude of counselors there's wisdom do you find that most elected officials surround themselves with counselors or staff who hold different opinions than each other so that a well-rounded perspective can be achieved or is it usually just you know a particular bias is manifested with the staff that they have um you might see a little bit of a range in an office but generally speaking they're they're hired because they can they can support their boss's perspectives on things remember that these people are passionate that's why they do this job people don't generally work as a staff member for a legislator for the money there's not big money in that but they do it because they're passionate there's long hours at times uh, it's it's a hard job to work for a legislator so it takes a, a level of passion about issues to keep them there and so when you're looking at uh, a legislative office you're looking at a group of people a group of staffers that are invested in the issues that that legislator cares about generally speaking they're going to be pretty close they might not all be passionate about the same exact issues but they're generally going to be leaning in the same direction you might have a little bit a little bit of little bit of change here and there and and I have experienced that at times but it's not it's not the regular experience so California is sort of known as a one party state that has this super majority and so based on that you would I would imagine that the staff as you said will reflect the politics and the world view when you show up do they look at you as the enemy do they look at you as the 180 opposite of themselves how are you normally received <laughs> that's that's a great question i would say uh, taking us taking a step back and looking at how anybody is received at the capital it might help too because when when people show up at the capital they're usually there because of something they don't like that is happening. So the average uh receptionist at the front desk in these legislators offices is is prepped for that. Is prepped for somebody coming in that's upset about something. So generally they are they are pretty careful about who they let in the office, who they let to get meetings with the legislator and um they're they're pretty prepared for somebody to come in guns blazing and saying hey we're really upset about this we need this fixed it can't happen this way so that's 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 what their normal day to day is is people coming through their door upset and so when i go in i try to have the opposite attitude i try to be kind i try to be friends i try to build relationships with people in the building uh based on anything that i can 
And so generally it might take a few minutes, but they'll open up to me and be more friendly because I'm not um, yelling or complaining at them. I see. So do you think they look at you as a counterpart to them? In, in many cases, yes. In fact, I have worked on the opposite side of some legislation with aides in the office of, of the author of the legislation and having very cordial meetings. And not only that, but actually not only solving my problem, but also if I can help them fix their bill in other ways too, because I'm dealing with bills that are on education or dealing with the family, I'm very familiar with how those kinds of bills work and how the law works with regard to a lot of this. So I might see stuff in there that might pose a problem to somebody else. And so if I can say, you know, I can, I can coordinate this effort and I can help you get your bill fixed, not only to solve my problem, but there's this other group over there that probably hasn't seen this bill yet. And you probably need to get their issue with this bill solved too. So if I can, if I can work to help them with other issues, then they can look at me as a resource. And I've actually gotten, you know, calls from legislators offices that are, are very liberal that will that will reach out and say, hey, we're working on this bill. Do you see any issues with it? Or do you know of any any problems that we might run into down the road? So being a friend and being helpful goes a long way. It reminds me of in Ephesians having your feet shod with the preparation for the gospel of mm-hmm. peace. You don't go in there with the you're wrong, I'm right attitude. You go in there and they know your position, I imagine, because you've been doing this for a while, but they don't see you as someone who wants to slay them. They see you as somebody who wants to work with them. Right, right. And I think too, I may not have had this this attitude when I first started, but I really value these people as, as Christians. You know, we, we love people. We, we need... Uh, the gospel, and we need Christ, and so do they. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, we might have this mindset of we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, and I think it's really important for us to remember that these folks that think differently than us need Christ just as much as we do, and if we start with that mindset of love toward them, they will sense that, and they, they may you know, even even come to an understanding of, oh, where, where that is coming from, that there is something here. And maybe, maybe there's more to this Christianity thing than I thought. And if we have that attitude of, of love towards others, it goes a long way in making those communications happen and, and being, being heard because otherwise we might just get shut down. But it's important for us to remember that, you know, Christ died for them too. And if, if we can share the gospel with these people when we, when we get opportunity and, and ask God to save them, there's, there are people that have come to Christ even 
even in the midst of legislative battles and in the midst of uh, being dug in on some of these issues and and seeing the light and seeing the hope of Christ and and coming completely around and seeing the hope in Christ and and following that and following scripture and realizing that they're on the wrong side of a lot of issues. And so I think there's a lot more to communication with legislators and staff than just vote no on something. Mm-hmm. There's if if we're open to loving them, there's there's more to be gained here than just a vote. Right. Now you said something which I'd like you to expand upon. You said I'm not sure I always had this mindset. Now I have known you for you know, <laughs> 15 years. I don't remember when you exactly started working with Family Protection Ministries, but I have seen you grow into the position, especially when you went from being the support staff to being the person who's now the face and the front lines. Tell me how you feel you matured in this role and how you learned from others and who those others were. Yeah. So I, I was aware of, of political issues as I was growing up. My parents, I mentioned, were involved in even in family protection ministries, my mom was an editor for uh, the newsletter that we put out, uh, even when I was in elementary school. And uh, so, uh, but as a high school student, I was very passionate about political issues, but needed to grow in my love for for other other people. And um, so, I very much did think of the the world of politics as us against them and as i grew older and real and learned more about uh, the spiritual battle that we're in and realized you know it's it's not just us against them there is a battle here but it's bigger than that and these people are ultimately people that that could be that could be saved, they could end up on our on our side, on on the side of Christ, um, ultimately. And I think one of the one of the people that was instrumental in helping me to have more compassion on people that are that think very differently from me was a gentleman that that actually runs a Bible study inside the Capitol building, and this uh, saying that he has has always stuck with me. He said. You know, God is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not even an American. And that saying it just stuck with me as I realized, you know, God is, is, he's in the midst of this battle with us, and we know that God wins, but God's not all about just being a Republican. God is, God is good and God is love, and God is a lot of other things and has a lot of instruction for us in things of politics and government and raising families and all of these other things. But God loves people, and, you know, we we need to love people too. He's commanded us to love our neighbor, and that's um, that's something that I, I have definitely... Uh, grown in over the years. I've been uh, working for Family Protection Ministries for about 20 years now, 
it's definitely it's there's definitely been a big change as you mentioned in in the way i think about some of these things but also in my um reliance on on god and his his grace and and his wisdom well i think we can all look back and see the maturation process and i don't think anything does it quite the same way that parenting does and so you can have your ideas and sure you're right and now suddenly you're seeing certain attitudes and characteristics appearing in your children and you get to evaluate and say, is that biblical? And have I transmitted to my children something that maybe isn't the right thing to transmit? So that's what I said earlier, that I appreciate that people who are in these battles in whatever manifestation, you're vested in the future because you've got children who are old enough that in five or 10 years will be having children of their own. And, and so it's a generational thing you're working on rather than just immediate victories here or there. Right. Right. And I, and I appreciate my parents setting an example for, for myself and my siblings uh, getting involved in uh, protecting the, the freedoms that we have in raising our, our children and recognizing that they weren't just in it for the the short run either and then seeing my own children and and i do have a desire to to do what i do for my own family um like you said i'm invested there but i i also have a desire for my children to be able to to homeschool to to raise their children for the lord without without persecution you know, I, I don't think that there, there will never be a time when people that believers can always obey God. There's no situation where we can't obey God, but we are fortunately in a situation right now where we're, we're able to do that without persecution. Uh, the history of the world has, has been filled with times when that's not the case. And it may be the case again, that we do face persecution. We have in at various levels, even in the last year and a half, seen some levels of persecution. But we need to be invested in and show an example to our children to continue to fight the battle, not just for today, not just for next year, but for, for generations to come and show that uh, God is for us and, and He will win the battle. And we're part of that. Indeed. Now, I'm sure that there are parents listening who'll say, oh, I would just love my children to be part of this. Um, how do they get ready? Where do you go to school to learn these things? But what you're really talking about is understanding how God's word applies throughout an individual's life, a family's life, the life of the church, the life of the culture. What would you recommend for people who have students, male or female students, who say, I think God's calling me to do something like this. Now, if they live in California, I imagine you'd love to hear from them, but they yeah. may not all live in California. So if you were telling the parents how to direct them, what to have them become exposed to, what would you say? So the very first thing I would say is what I say to parents that are training children of all ages, and that is that reviewing and 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 knowing the gospel and the truth of scripture is number one it needs to be number one always not just when we're in church on sunday but every every day and so 
in our in our home uh, for for school, the main priority, if we don't get to any other subject area, we start with with reading the Bible. And that's the the most important thing that we can do in preparation for anything. And so we and we call our time of of family worship, uh, we call it first importance in our home based on, you know, on 2 Corinthians, and, and because Paul recognized that the gospel was of first importance. And that's something that I think we need to remember is that the gospel is of first importance, and everything else comes out of that. And a, a, an understanding of scripture is going to be really important for really engaging on the issues that our culture is dealing with, because there is so much out there that is that is lies that is not truth but we know that the word of god is true and we can always go back there and know that god is not going to lie to us god is going to tell us the truth and so if something out there in the culture is contradicting that then it's wrong if right. if if we can see that if we can learn discernment from scripture that is going to be the most foundational thing for getting involved in anything, particularly in politics, I would say. That being said, um, as you mentioned, I would love to hear from, from young people interested in, in getting involved in the work that we do here in Family Protection Ministries. And there are, there are groups in other states that are fighting for the family as well. And uh, if you connect with the, uh, the homeschool organization or the pro-family organization in your state, I'm sure they would love to hear from you. Uh, in in California, we we work here in Sacramento, and we do have opportunities for young people to get involved in a Capitol Day event that we do every year, uh, engaging with legislators and staff at the Capitol building. Um, we have uh, great speakers, and we have uh, the opportunity for young people to go around and actually uh, make a difference, uh, talking with with staff members and legislators. But we also have um, internship programs in in our uh, office here, and uh, there's other groups. There's a, less groups here in California than there used to be. When I first started, there was probably ten pro-family groups working in Sacramento on family issues, um, and now there's just there's just a, a few, and I'm grateful for each one that's working on some some different issue, whether it's fighting against some of the bad stuff happening in public schools or, or whatever. Um, but yes, there are things that young people can do, and I would encourage them to, to uh, become informed and, and uh, connect with us on, on our website. Right. And I'll repeat it again at the end. Tell them how they could get in touch with you. Yeah, our, our website has a contact form uh, on fpmca.org. Okay, and I'll put that link in our notes. So I'm sure you're known and Family Protection Ministries is known as kind, um, wanting to get along, not wanting to fight, but not compromisers. And I still get your legislative updates where you've gone through the various bills that have been proposed, whether they die in committee, but you know they're going to be introduced again in the next session so having the ability to read well and understand inferences and implications is important for the work you do 
because you have to know when it's time to bring out the troops. And there have been a number of highlights in the past, oh, I guess, 25, 30 years where homeschooling families in California decided that um, they were going to answer the call and show up. Would you mind sharing some of those instances and the effects it had on the legislature? Certainly. I, I can give you a two examples specifically from 2018 when we had um, we had two different bills introduced that year that would have impacted homeschoolers. One bill, the first one, they wanted to create a, a, a commission to put together a new homeschool law in California. And I met with the, the office there uh, several times. The, the staffers working in that office were somewhat friendly to me because I had worked with them on other bills when they had worked for another legislator. Um, there's a lot of moving around in, in the offices there, but I, I had been talking with them, trying to, you know, encourage them to, to, to back off and try to really understand what their motivation was, but realizing that uh, they wanted to, to have a lot more strict control over private homeschooling in California. They wanted to have mandatory testing and, and um, health and safety laws for homes that where they were going to homeschool and and curriculum standards and and mandate that all the parents get certifi teacher certifications if they wanted to homeschool. So it was very restrictive. And um, so finally, we realized that there wasn't any solution behind the scenes working with them. They were going to go the direction they wanted to go. So we we sent out action alerts by email. And um, I would encourage you to get our get our emails so that you know when something like this is happening. But we sent out emails and asked people to call that author's office and just tell them, please, please do not move forward with this bill. And the the phone calls sort of increased. Um, sometimes there'll be a bunch of phone calls that go in on one or two days and then they sort of fade away. But in this particular case, phone calls just kept increasing and increasing. There were lots of people that cared about this issue. And this legislator's office um, asked me to come in and meet with them again. And they asked me to ask people to stop calling them because they couldn't <laughs> get anything done. Their phone <laughs> lines were tied up and they were basically unable to do anything. And, and I, I, I told him, well, we, we can't back off because these people are expressing their opinion about a bill they're concerned about, and they're not going to stop calling unless the bill stops. And they tried to tell me that um, the bill wasn't really going to do what people were thinking it was going to do. Um, but after me asking them a, a number of questions, we realized that, yeah, it does exactly what people think it's going to do. So, um, so I told them no, and I, I left. And then a few days later, they pulled their bill. They, they shut it down and they didn't move it forward after that. So that just goes to show how much of an impact those phone calls can have. And I've had a situation like that more than, more than once. It's, it's really amazing how much of an impact those phone calls can have. In fact, I have heard in committee legislators talking to each other about uh, have you been getting all these phone calls from people about this bill? Yeah, I've been getting a bunch of them. 
In fact, one legislator who had committed to vote vote yes on a mandatory kindergarten bill probably 10 years ago, he came to a committee hearing and said, I haven't been able to sleep at night. I can't vote yes on this bill because of all the phone calls I'm getting. And so um, the phone calls do, do make a significant impact. Um, that same year in 2018, there was another bill. This one would be home inspections for homeschoolers. It was um, uh, a bill that would send the fire department to inspect the home of every homeschool family to make sure that their homes were safe for children. It wasn't every family in California, it was just the homeschoolers. So when that bill got to a hearing, uh, they kept moving that bill forward. I met with their office a number of times and uh, wasn't able to make any headway on, on getting them to, to, to stop the bill. But they uh, took it to committee and uh, we had about 3,500 people show up at the Capitol building the day of that hearing. And it took about four hours for the testimony from all those people. They were lined up through the Capitol building, winding up and down staircases uh, on multiple floors in overflow rooms. There were homeschool families everywhere in the Capitol building. Some kids were doing spelling lessons and doing as they as they sat there waiting for their chance to go speak. Uh, they were either playing chess or doing homework. All kinds of things were were happening during that day as, as families invested many hours waiting in line. And when that bill actually came up to a, a the time where it was supposed to get voted on, uh, that bill didn't get a motion to even be allowed to be voted on. No person on the committee would even make the motion to allow the bill to be uh, voted on, which was fascinating. I've never seen that before. Right. But it, it, it's amazing when, when people uh, can, everybody pulls together and, and has an impact when, when they can show up or make those phone calls. It, it's an impressive display of, of working together for something that people care about. And we have to stand firm on these things. We can't compromise we, because as soon as, as you give them an inch, it'll be like, it'll be like there's blood in the water and the sharks will be circling and, and it's just going to be one thing after another. So we have to stand firm and hold the line. So obviously, and this is going to be no shocker to anybody, the mainstream media didn't cover this, but there were plenty of people who had their video cameras on, on their phones. And many of the people I know were there testifying and it wasn't just parents testifying. You might have an eight-year-old who gets up to the microphone and very articulately expresses why this is a dangerous bill. And if I'm not mistaken, at least the reports I heard, they even turned off the air conditioning in the halls in some of those rooms, hoping that people would go home. And I saw people who, you know, they were sweating because it was hot, but nobody left. And I think this made a statement that, you know, when, when the scripture says that the demons shudder, I imagine there was some demons shuddering that day. Yes, yes, I think so. I think so. And, and after, after that hearing, um, it was pretty interesting how 
some of my meetings uh, for a while after that. And some still today, people remember that. There's, there is turnover in the building and staffers coming and going. So some folks are new and don't remember that day. But the people that do, uh, they're much more ready to um, invite me to their office and, and hear what I have to say about things because they don't want to repeat that. <laughs> so I'm going to put a challenge out there to people listening a lot of homeschool families say, okay, after high school, what next? And for good reason, they don't just want to send their child off to college somewhere if there's not a real purpose as to what they want or what the child or student wants to accomplish. Is there any value from your perspective, Nathan, for people who live in different states to consider offering potential candidates to you so they could learn what you do so that they could then take what you do and duplicate it, replicate it in their own state. Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, it would be valuable to have more people doing this work in other states and, and around the world. I think that's really important. And I have tried to invest through the years in a lot of young people um, that are either still in high school or in college or just out of high school and trying to figure out what to do next, or if they're really passionate about politics um, or aren't sure exactly where God would have them, but they feel a call to, to protect uh, freedoms for God's people. And so, we do seek to uh, train people here in my office, and uh, that's definitely one of the opportunities that's, that's available here. And I would think that even for people who are not certain this is what I want to do, they have the ability to get the text of these proposed bills, correct? That's right. And yes. they could read them, and their children and they could analyze and see if they end up seeing the same things you see, or maybe they see things that you should see but haven't seen, and they get the sense on how missional this work is. Because I know you, Nathan, you're not getting rich off of <laughs> this. You don't have multiple mansions in different parts of the country, but God has sustained you. And when we were talking recently, you sort of are amazed that you're still around, <laughs> that, it's, <laughs> that it's working. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. And God has provided over the years. It's been amazing as I've seen, you know, there's a lot of people uh, fleeing California, you might say. And uh, so, but God has continued to provide for the work that we're doing here in, in great ways. And it might be uh, different ways in different years, uh, different people led to to support our work, and that's really how how we exist. Is is people just donating? We're we're a nonprofit. We don't we don't have a big grant or something like that. We're we're funded by by people that care about homeschool and and family freedoms here in California and and across the country, and we want to be able to not just protect those freedoms for today in California, but for future generations. And, and if we can train young people and send them out across the country and around the world, that's, that's what I am loving to be a part of. 
Right. And what that does is it actually has implications beyond homeschoolings. I, I can imagine somebody saying, well, I'm retired. I don't have children anymore. Or our children are in a good Christian school and, and we're happy with it. That doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility in this area. Anybody who was upset or frustrated about what 2020 looked like and all the new things that are being introduced into state school curriculum, more and more people are leaving that system and are homeschooling because it's a feasible solution that you can start right away. So don't think that the enemies of God aren't going to start noticing more and more people doing it, which will make family protection ministries all the more vital because families need to be educated in how not to take the handout that the local school might try to give them to woo them back and understand the implications of these things. So if you want a different future for America, then you need to invest in the watchman on the wall who then will train his replacement or colleagues so that we're in a position to really storm the gates of hell, which is what we're supposed to do. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's wrap this up, Nathan. Tell people how they might get in touch with you again. And um, are there things on your website that, I mean, is there enough to keep them busy to go ahead and read what's on your website? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. On our website, again, that's fpmca.org. We have um, a number of ways you can get involved. You can uh, support us. You can get involved with um, taking action. You can uh, learn about how to get involved and be um, active in engaging with your legislators. Uh, We have a video series on activism that you can learn from. You can um, also learn about how to read the bills and find who your legislator is. There's all kinds of information about that on our website. And and first and foremost, just keep um, pursuing where God would have you to be and ask God for wisdom. If you're a young person looking for direction, um, pray and ask God and he will guide you. And if this is something that God puts on your heart, definitely contact us through the uh, contact page on our website, and we'd love to hear from you. Very good. Thank you, Nathan. And listeners, if you would like to comment on this particular podcast, if you have suggestions for future podcasts, you can always reach us at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.